Have you ever met a celebrity before? Okay. I remember the first time that I, uh, I met a celebrity. So uh, I was 14, 15. I was at a concert, and my favorite band at the time was performing in the lineup. And after their set, they're like, the lead singer was like, hey, I'm going to be over in this section signing autographs. As soon as he said that, I booked it to the merch table, bought a poster, and dutifully waited in line. And I remember, clear as day, I walk up to him, I say, Matt, I love your music. Will you sign my poster? And he said, thanks. And he moved on to the next person. And I, got a, I was a little more bummed about that than I should have been, because I thought we were going to be lifelong friends once we met and have so much to talk about. But as I've gotten older, I've realized that there really isn't that much to talk to celebrities about. You only get about 20 seconds with them, so just ask them for what you want and let them move on to the next person. And, and what I'm trying to get across is simply this, that, that your relationship with someone determines how you talk to them. This fall, we're going to be uh, looking at prayer. Uh, prayer is the term we use for talking with God. And we're going to spend the next six weeks unpacking how Jesus teaches us to pray. But before we can really talk about the mechanics of prayer, we need to make sure that we are correctly relating to God when we pray. And so tonight, we're going to make three movements from our text. We're going to look at our prescription, our problem, and our position. So first, our prescription. Uh, again, our, our, our t the part of the text that we're really focusing on tonight is this. Our Father in heaven. That's it. That's really all we're looking at tonight because in these four words encapsulate how we should relate to God. Uh, let, let's be really simplistic. There's really only two ways that you can relate to a person. You can relate to them as a business relationship or a family relationship. Uh, a business relationship is one that is based on performance. You don't go to McDonald's because of who's working there, but because of what they have for you. And if their ice cream machine is broken again, you're taking your business elsewhere. You're not going to sit around and hang out there because they aren't performing the way that they're supposed to. It's a business relationship. Family relationships are different, right? Rather than being based on performance, they're based on permanent commitment. We engage in them because of who they are to us. A and the difference between these two relationships is really the difference between living in an Airbnb and living with your parents. Has anyone ever stayed in an Airbnb? They can be pretty cool, right? Like, so if you've never been one, here's how it works. You, you rent out someone's house, and you have access to basically everything there. And sometimes that's some, got some really cool perks. Maybe they'll have like a pool table or a hot tub or who knows what. A and the owner is typically quite happy to let you stay there as long as you want, as long as you keep the house rules and you pay the rent. But if you are to break the house rules, like you put Dawn dish soap in a hot tub or you stop paying, they will kick you out. Living with your family is much different, right? Sure, there might be expectations like you clean your room or you're present for family dinners, but your place there is never in jeopardy. Like, they're not going to say, you miss family dinner, so you're evicted. You might perform, but you perform because you're accepted. At an Airbnb, you perform so that you will be accepted. 
You see the difference? And what Jesus is saying to us is that we are to relate to God on this family basis. We're supposed to call him Father. Now, the term Father kind of seems a little formal, doesn't it? But the word that Jesus uses here is actually the farthest thing from formal. Uh, the word is Abba, which kind of sounds like Dada, which is an excellent translation for it. it, it it's, it's the sound that a little child would make calling for their dad with all the love, joy, and need that they have for their father. And that's how Jesus wants us to relate to God, specifically when we pray to him. This is his prescription for us. This is what we ought to do. However, we have a problem. And so we don't typically relate to God this way. Uh, we relate to God as the pagans do. Uh, here's how Jesus typifies our prayers in verse 7. He says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles or the pagans do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now, you might be a little offended because I am lumping us in with the pagans. And the reason I'm calling them pagans, not Gentiles, is one, it's an acceptable translation, but two, because typically we think of Gentiles as irreligious. They have no religion. Pagans, on the other hand, were extremely religious. And that's who Jesus is talking about here. These people pray a lot. And Jesus is telling us that we can be religious and not be relating to God correctly. So how are they relating to God? Well, he uses two terms to describe their prayers. First, he says that they heap up empty phrases which is a very kind way of saying they babble on and on and on. They nag to get God's attention. When, uh, when we got our dog, Bruce, who's a, a, a year now, I was a little bit of an idealist. Um, I am a human, he is a dog, and there's going to be a clear distinction between his privileges and mine. For example, I sleep in a bed, he does not sleep in my bed. Okay, so... Uh, at the beginning, we would put Bruce in his crate, tell him good night, go upstairs, everything would be fine. And then we'd hear something like this. And this would go on for some time until eventually my wife caved and now Bruce sleeps with us every night and it's great. Bruce was babbling. He was saying a bunch of nonsense to get our attention, to wear us down. And Jesus is saying this is how religious people pray. They go on and on and on to get God to notice them because they are convinced that God does not care. It's the first way he characterizes their prayer. Second way is with that they pray with many words. In other words, they keep talking about the same things over and over. Kids are great at this, by the way. Uh, right now, my son Theo is very into baseball, loves it, can't get enough of it. And so typically what happens is he will wake me up when it's time to get up and say, Dad, can we play baseball? And I say, later. <laughs> and, and, and like, you know, because we got, we got stuff to do, like make breakfast and things like that. And he will continue to ask me at very short intervals, can we go play baseball? Can we play baseball? Can we play baseball? Don't forget we're going to play baseball. And he's doing that because he's excited, but he's also doing it because he's afraid I'll forget. 
He's afraid that I will get locked into making breakfast or responding to emails or something like that, and I will ignore his need. That I will overlook his request. And so he's keeping it in the forefront of my mind, and that's how they're praying. Not only would they nag God to get his attention, but they would also keep bringing up their needs for fear that he just overlooked them, that he's so inconsiderate that he wouldn't pay attention to their request. And here's how you can tell if you are relating to God as a pagan does, as a religious person does. Look at how you respond to unanswered prayers. If you get angry or anxious, then you aren't relating to God the way Jesus tells us to. See, if we pray for something and God doesn't answer our prayers and we get angry, what we're saying in effect is this. Look, God, I've been paying the rent. I've been doing all the stuff I should be doing. It's time for you to pay up. It's time for you to keep your part of the bargain. And if we pray for something and, and our prayers go unanswered and we get anxious or maybe guilty, we're in effect saying, well, I haven't been paying the rent. I, I messed up a lot this week. God has no reason to answer my prayers. See, either mentality, though, is that business relationship that God should only respond if I've done my part. It's a transaction. No, I understand that might not be the right line of questioning for you. Perhaps, um, perhaps you, you don't pray like the pagans. Perhaps uh, you really don't pray at all, or very much, rather. Maybe you really don't pray outside of meals and bedtimes. You really don't talk to God unless you're in like a serious pickle, unless something you really need a little supernatural touch. Then you come to God when you need his services. And that, too, is that business relationship that I only come to you for what you have, not who you are. That's our problem. And that's our default setting, to relate to God as a landlord, a boss, as a business. And Jesus is saying that you will never pray the way that you're supposed to, the way that he's telling us to unless we relate to God differently. And so if we want to pray as we ought, we need to understand our position. Now, our, our position at the onset is actually pretty bad. Uh, the Bible uses a number of terms to describe our position. We are rebels. We are alienated from God. We are dead in our sins. We are his enemies. And so, yeah, it, it does make sense in one sense that we're unable to relate to God as Father because he's also the righteous king who will not let the wicked go unpunished. But then Jesus steps in. Jesus lives the life that you and I should have lived, who lived in total obedience and fellowship with God so that he could die the death we should have died. He bore all the wrath and alienation that we are deserving of. And here's how the Apostle Paul describes our change in position. I'm hopping over to Galatians chapter 4, and I am reading verses 4 through 7. So Galatians 4, 4 through 7. 
Uh, Paul writes that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. See, when, when we accept Jesus as our Savior and King, we are adopted into God's family. We become his sons and daughters. And that forever changes the way we relate to him. Think about it like this. Who would dare wake up a king at three in the morning for a glass of water? No one would be, no one would be dumb enough to walk into the most powerful person in the country and say, can you get me a glass of water and make sure there's ice in it? Unless they're his kids. See, not only could they get away with that, but the king would happily do it for his children. Do you, do you see that when you grasp your relationship to God in Jesus, that you are dearly loved and cared for, it changes the way that you approach him in prayer. Guys, in this series, Jesus is going to show us how to pray. But if we don't get this part right, if, if we aren't relating to God correctly, then we're not going to be able to pray, hallowed be your name, or give us our daily bread. If we're to learn from Jesus how to pray, we must fix in our mind to who we are praying to. We are praying to our Father in heaven.